you would take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Let me just start here by catching you up to speed on where we are in the book of Matthew. It's been a while now. I think it was May uh, since, we, since I was able to preach. And, um, and for some of you, you haven't been here when I have preached before. You're visiting from out of town, family, friends. So let me just catch you up to speed. Um, here in chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has specially selected 12 men, um, 12 of his followers to, to send out send out on a on mission for the first time. Um, if you look through uh, Matthew 10, you can just look down it with me at the chapter. He, he begins there by giving them instructions about where to go, um, about um, how to leave, uh, what to do, what to preach, what they should take with them. And last time I preached, uh, we learned about Jesus' uh, warnings that he follows up with. Uh, we considered the inevitable opposition that his disciples would face, both then and now. It would be social, it would be physical opposition, be political, um, and even f- familial, family perse- persecution. It would be painful. It would impact families. It would be life-threatening. It's a really sober warning. Now, when you hear about inevitable opposition, persecution for followers of Jesus, what what comes to mind? What, what do you fear the most? Is it people misunderstanding, maligning you as extremists for what you believe? Do you fear persecution? Do you, do you fear pain, even death itself? Maybe you fear loss of religious freedoms. Or if you're a parent, maybe you fear losing your kids to the world's influence losing them to protective services because your views are not are deemed extreme. Maybe you're not a parent but um, you don't, or you don't have kids yet, but you fear bringing kids into the world at all because of just the wicked society that we see around us. We had one, uh, one of our young men in Bible, men's Bible study asked a group that question a few Saturdays ago. Um, should we even, you know, his, his friend was asking him, should we even bring children into this world? Christian singles, young couples are looking around and questioning the wisdom of even having kids. And, and by the way, Jesus will have some shocking things to say about family later today in, um, in Matthew 10, we'll discuss during the Bible study. But, but back to our original question, are, are you fearful of opposition for being a follower of Jesus? Do you fear the, the wolves, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 10, that will, will try to destroy you and your kids? Jesus takes this question head on in the passage here today. Look down with me at the beginning of verse 24. So have no fear of them. Then down to verse 28, do not fear. Finally down to verse 31, fear not. Jesus knows that the opposition and threat for being a follower of Jesus is, it's fear-inducing. And so he, he takes time here. He gives three different reasons why we don't need to fear. But he does more than that. 
Uh, some of you might have a heading in your Bible there that says something like, have no fear, fear not. But this section, it, it doesn't rule out fear altogether, does it? Um, in fact, it, it, does, it calls for a right type of fear, fear of God. And so today, um, simply, I wanted to show these three reasons that Jesus gives why you must not fear men. So there's a couple of reasons why you, you must fear God. Let's just stop and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into our passage for today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and the privileges to, to preach it and to, to study it together, to, to learn from it, to grow by it. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law, that you would unite our hearts to fear your name, that you would shape us more into the image of Christ today as a result of gazing at the truth of this scripture, um, gazing at Christ. Would we, you drive out fear of men and replace it with a healthy fear and reverence for our holy God? We pray through Jesus. Amen. Jesus begins here. Well, let's read the passage and then we'll, then we'll jump in talking about it. Matthew 10, starting in verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. and What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Jesus begins here in this passage by reminding his followers that they shouldn't be surprised by opposition, by slander. A disciple is someone who listens and learns and mimics their teacher. And Jesus says, if you are truly my disciple, if you're learning from me, if you're following me, if you're obeying me and sharing my message with others, people are going to malign you like they've done to me. He gives this illustration of how they had maligned him. They, they called him the master of the house Beelzebul, which was repeated, a repeated insult throughout Jesus' ministry uh, get, given to him that he, he must be serving the prince of demons, um, Satan himself. If you flip back um, just a few passages at the end of Matthew 9, you find, and actually I have it up here on the screen, I think, um, you find this demon-oppressed man who was mute, was brought to Jesus, and 
when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Then you flip over beyond Matthew 10 to Matthew 12, and the Pharisees once again slander Jesus, saying, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And Jesus, he exposes the absurdity of their accusation uh, he, by pointing out that he's casting out demons, right? which means if he's serving Satan, he's working against him. He's undermining him. And then he turns the tables. He says, if I cast out demons by abusable, by whom do your sons, your, your own people, cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come Upon you. Jesus has the Spirit of God. He is the very Son of God. He is the Messiah, God's promised King, and yet people rejected him. They they mischaracterized him as, as evil when he was doing good. So don't be surprised, Jesus said to his disciples, when they reject you. Because you have identified with me. You're part of my household. You are my disciples. Later in in John 15, Jesus would again remind his followers. He'd say, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, you would love, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute you, me, they will also persecute you. So first of all, if you are truly a follower of Jesus, you, you can expect to be treated like he was. Misunderstood, mischaracterized, maligned. And that brings us to the, our first reason why we as Jesus followers should not fear men. Verse 26, Jesus says, So, therefore, have no fear of them, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Number one, don't fear men because the truth will be revealed. Don't fear men because the truth will be revealed. When I was a kid, um, I liked to read mystery adventures. Nowadays, they have... um, you know, series like The Green Ember and uh, Wing Feather Saga. When I was a kid, I remember reading dozens of the Hardy Boys mysteries. Anybody of you remember those? Um, they always seem to include the same basic storyline elements, right? Uh, eccentric old man is originally skeptical of the boys. He eventually comes around. The Hardys, are, or their friends, are falsely accused of a crime. The villain has this hideout involving caves and tunnels. And, and their friend, Chet Morton, seems to always be eating a snack. Am I right? Is this... Does this pretty much capture the Hardy Boys? Do you remember um, how all those books ended? Or not just Hardy Boys, any, any mystery for that matter. Typically, there's this, there's this scene at the end of the mystery, um, and they would explain everything. Who took their telescope and tools? Why the abandoned house had suddenly been restored? Uh, why, who the mysterious man is? Regardless of the mystery, whether it's a book or a movie or a TV show, there's this time when what has been concealed is revealed. 
the truth comes to light. And there's, there's security in that. Here in verse 26, Jesus states with certainty that there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. One day, the curtain will be pulled back. The truth will come to light. Jesus will return. He'll, he'll vindicate his followers, revealing those who are truly servants of Satan and who are sons of God. Back in the 1600s, commentator Matthew Henry said many times, they who themselves are nearest akin, related to the, the devil, are most apt to father others upon him, accuse others of being his offspring. Those that paint Satan on others' clothes have him reigning in their own hearts. It's well that there's a day coming when that which is hid will be brought to light. And we have the Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Jesus charges us not to fear, first of all, because the truth will be revealed. God will bring it to light. Like the end of an edge-of-your-seat mystery movie or TV show, uh, the conclusion to a page-turner mystery book, the truth will be revealed. Some of you know personally what it's like to be falsely accused mischaracterized by others. It's painful to go through. Jesus said that we can expect to be misunderstood and maligned by others for living as followers of Jesus. Mischaracterized by authorities, misunderstood by family, misrepresented by the media, like in Jesus' day, slandered by those who claim to be followers of God, Pharisees. But suffering for Christ is worth it. And what makes it worth it? Worth it, the, the future revelation. Romans 8, verse 18. For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As a reminder, the, the persecution, uh, the prejudice, the, the pain that believers experience is nothing new. It's been going on for millennia, long before Jesus spoke to his disciples. And Jesus reminds us about this in Matthew 5, back in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Slander, maligning. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are a lot of other verses uh, about suffering, um, I just want to read you one more verse from 1 Peter that I think so appropriately pulls these ideas together. Listen to Jesus' words about, um, sorry, uh, Peter's words about having no fear. Sorry, well, as you read this passage, look for um, a kind of echo of Jesus' words about having no fear, uh, about slanderous speech. Who is, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having good conscience so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Do not fear men, their slander, their persecution, because the truth will one day be revealed. As we return to our passage in Matthew, um, Jesus' charge to his followers, it doesn't just stop with have no fear. Um, Because everything will one day be revealed, he, he tells his disciples to boldly share that truth with others. He says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Jesus intentionally spoke in parables, figures of speech that, that con- kind of concealed certain realities of the kingdom during his time of ministry on earth before he was arrested and killed. But Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, do it openly. Do it, do it publicly. That's, that's the idea of proclaiming it from those, those housetops. It's kind of the, you know, it's kind of like a, being that person that goes around giving all the spoilers at the end of the movie. Um, you know, walking up to you as you're reading the mystery and telling you at the end of the story before you have the chance to stop them. We, we know the end of the story. Andy Nassali observes, the story of the Bible is um, kill the dragon, get the girl. Jesus destroys the serpent Satan and, and gets the girl. He, he rescues his bride, the church. We know the end of the story that, and Jesus has commissioned us to, to publicly spread the good news so that everyone may hear. Number one, don't fear men because the truth will one day be revealed. And we have an opportunity and an obligation to give people a preview of that revelation. Jesus continues with the second reason we don't need to fear men. And that is, they can only kill the body. Verse 28, Jesus states, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Now, for some of you, um, this might not actually seem very comforting. (laughs) Um, Most people are terrified of dying, especially being killed by someone else. Jesus has just finished explaining how his disciples would be flogged in the synagogues, verse 17, dragged before authorities, verse 18, delivered over to death by even those closest to them, their own family members. And that's exactly what happened. Except for John, all the apostles were martyred. It it continues throughout the world today. Maybe not here as much in our society, but um, this is happening today. But I don't know if the world realizes that that killing a Christian sends them to glory. We don't fear men because they can only kill your body. E.H. Hamilton is a Presbyterian missionary to China, and he wrote a poem to reflect on the, the martyrdom of his friend, J.W. Vinson, a fellow missionary, this is October, October 1931. Vincent um, visited some believers 18 miles from his mission station. Um, and the area was overwhelmed by a group of 600 bandits. And he, a young Chinese girl uh, who escaped the situation related the incident uh, provided, that provided the inspiration for Hamilton's poem. The bandits came to Vincent menacingly, you know, waving their gun in front of him. Are you afraid? He replied, no, with complete assurance. If you shoot, 
I go straight to heaven. And so Hamilton wrote these words. Afraid of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release, to pass from pain to perfect peace? The, the strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of what? Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face, to hear his welcome, and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace? Afraid of what? Of that? Currently in our family devotions, um, we've been trying to read through a biography of Jim Elliott, a Christian missionary who, along with four other friends, was speared to death by members of Indian tribes in eastern Ecuador that they were trying to reach with the gospel. It's a good bedtime story for the kids. <laughs> it's... Um, these tribes were known to be violent. Many people would have been fearful of death. But Jim didn't fear men because he knew that they could only kill his body. Listen, listen to these few quotes, how he viewed death. These are just different quotes throughout his journals. He says, If we are the sheep of his pasture, remember that sheep are headed for the altar. He says, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Do you fear death? Do you fear those who can put you in prison or even take your life? Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. We'll come back and talk about the significant second half of that verse in a few minutes, but... Um, I want to continue with the third reason that Jesus gives why you don't need to fear man. Don't fear men because your heavenly father values you. Can you look back down with me um, to verse 29? Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus gives two illustrations to demonstrate God the Father's care for his children, the, the value he places on them. He begins by talking about sparrows, which were um, sometimes purchased for food. Uh, you could buy two of these sparrows for one penny. Um, or according to Luke's gospel, I think you could get five sparrows for two pennies, so buy four, get one free. This, um, this, this penny um, was a small Roman copper coin uh, called an asarion in Greek. It was, it was, it was one-sixteenth of a, a denarius, which was about a day's wage. Um, so if you do a little math, with the help of an ancient money calculator online, you'll find that each sparrow would cost... I think about, about $2.60 in today's money in California. The point is, we're talking about a Happy Meal, not a filet mignon. I mean, the, the, the sparrows, they're not extremely valuable. You get it? And yet, Jesus says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And the implication is that he allows it, he even wills it, not just that he's aware of it. If God values 
small little sparrows, through his care and concern, how much more must he value you? Jesus says in verse 31, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus has made the same point uh, about his care for the birds back in chapter 6. You probably remember um, from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He uses a different animal to prove the same point in Matthew 12. He says, Which one of you is a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? You are valuable to your Heavenly Father. Back in Matthew 10, after using the illustration from the world of animal nature, Jesus gives a second illustration to demonstrate his care and sovereignty. Not about the uh, sparrow falling to the ground, but the very hairs of your head falling to the ground. He says, almost in passing, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I I can make a joke here about how that's much easier for him with some people than others. Um, I won't do that. I do think it's interesting. Jesus, he's not just highlighting the fact that God the Father knows how many hairs you have, which I think for most of us is somewhere around 100,000 hairs. The point is that he has them all numbered, not just counted. When one falls, he notices. He knows. That's the type of detailed knowledge he has about us, the value he places on us. We lose about 500, sorry, 50 to 100 hairs each day. Um, he has them all numbered. What I'd like to do at this point is just read a few passages that give us a picture of God's view towards his children. Maybe you want to write these down in your Bible. I think I have them on your handout there. So you can go back to them and read them sometime when you're feeling low, you're feeling afraid. Isaiah 49, 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Hosea 11.8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yes, you might die one day. Let me rephrase that. You will die one day. And it may be at the hands of wicked men, but regardless of what lies ahead, you do not have to be afraid because your Heavenly Father values you. You are precious to Him. There's part of me that just wants to leave things right there, allow this encouragement and comfort to go with us as we leave. And, um, but before we close, I, I need to address the fear of God. 
We can't ignore the words of Jesus Christ in the second half of verse 28, as well as verse 32 and 33. And so let me just close with two reasons why we must fear God while not fearing men. I I think you'll see how these actually connect. First of all, we fear God because God can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we're not going to be able to talk at length about the theology of hell. I'm not going to do that, but I think in a world where many professing Christians increasingly want, to, increasingly want to dismiss the idea of God's wrath and judgment for sin, it's important to note that Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. He talked more about hell and judgment than any other topic. And that's not because he's some sadistic person who delights in torturing people. It's, it's actually the very opposite. He, he literally came from heaven to deliver rebels who are justly destined for hell. He came to seek and save the lost. It's his love that compels him to talk over and over about hell as he warns men and calls them to repent and believe the good news. And if you're wondering you know, why God would send people to hell. The real question is, why would God go to so much trouble to rescue us from our default destination as guilty sinners? God is just, which means he must punish wrongdoing. If any of you have experienced injustice, you know how important this is. Everyone wants justice until it involves punishment for them. God is perfectly just while also being perfectly merciful. And the only way he can do both is by exhausting the punishment for your sin upon his sinless son, Jesus Christ, who voluntarily gave his life for ours and then guaranteed new life for us through his resurrection. That is the gospel. That's, that's good news. So don't fear men because they can only kill the body. But fear God because he can destroy both soul and body and hell. Fear God enough to bow before him in repentance and faith. If you haven't done that before, but you, you know you need to, you, you'd like to, I, I'd encourage you, just find me afterwards. I, I would love to lead you to Jesus, who is only, the only one able to save you and make you God's child transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. All right, we've come to our last point um, from our final few few verses. Fear God um, because God can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then secondly, because Jesus can deny you before his father in heaven. And verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. And this is kind of an audacious claim by Jesus. He's basically saying your eternity with God in heaven is settled by your relationship with Jesus. The word there for acknowledge is the word um, to to confess or testify that something is true. We find the same word in, in Romans 10. Because if you confess... I have it there. Yeah. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and justi- is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's an, there's a, you can see from that verse, there's an internal aspect 
to confession, to acknowledgement, there's also an external aspect. Jesus says, if you deny me before men publicly, you're, 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 not, a, you're not a true disciple. And, and this is really convicting for me. I, you know, there's been times I've been in a situation um, and I fail to speak up, confess that I'm a follower of Jesus, and I've, I've felt horrible about that. But then I, I think of Jesus' 12 disciples who basically, they basically denied him in the garden. They fled. And then, and then Peter, who specifically denied that he knew Jesus during Jesus' trial. And I'm reminded Jesus is able to forgive, to restore, as he did with Peter and his disciples after his resurrection. And so, so we do see a marked change. We don't see continual denial. We can turn to Acts and we find the apostles arrested before the high priest, responding to their threats with words like, we must obey God rather than men. Fear of God or fear of men? The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. <laughs> That's not fear of men right there. They're just, he's just speaking the truth. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Friends, if we struggle with fearing men, perhaps the problem is we don't have a healthy fear of God. Those that buried uh, John Knox, um, leader in the Scottish uh, Reformation, he said, said of him, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. Spurgeon says the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. I was talking with somebody just here uh, before the service. I am still tempted to fear men when I stand up here and preach. Um, I fear that I'm going to say something silly, that my microphone will stop working. I fear um, the PowerPoint will mess up. People will think I'm boring or hard to understand. But other than the fact that you're a family, you're like family to me, I think the biggest thing that helps me with fear of man is, is a healthy fear of God. Before I stand up in this pulpit, you know, I, I pray and study for dozens of hours because I want to ensure that I'm preaching sound doctrine. I want to make sure I'm accurately expounding the truth of God's word. As one pastor puts it, local churches need unwavering leaders who fear the Lord. They don't need you as a pastor to meet their expectations, but they do need to see your hand tremble when you hold up your Bible. Do, you, do your kids see you tremble as you pray and read God's word? Do they know that you fear God? Or do you fear men? Do your coworkers see your fear of God and how you, you hate sin and wickedness, including speech and joking, entertainment that displeases God? If we fear what men may think of us or do to us, whether that's mockery or persecution or death, and one of the most powerful antidotes for fear of men is the fear of God. I'll close with this verse from Isaiah. 
For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you as creator of the universe, sustainer as master and Lord. We we were enemies, deserving of the wrath of God and we're rebels. Um, enemies of God, and and you sent your Son so that we could be forgiven, we could be cleansed. We wouldn't have to fear death. And God, I, I just pray right now that you would you know, extract from us, drive out from us this this persistent fear of men. And you would redirect our gaze, um, lift our gaze to, to be fixed on our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, on you, our Heavenly Father, that we'd have a healthy fear of God that, that drives out fear of men. That we wouldn't be afraid because we know that everything will be one day be revealed. Also, they would just remember um, the Father's care for each one of us, that he, he values us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, these people, um, the, the family of God. I pray that we would challenge one another um, to fear you and not fear others. We need your help to do this. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.